Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you and thank you for tuning in. It's another Bible study today with a very interesting topic, restless and rebellious. I hope that uh, we'll find more peace as we are going through this uh, study today and learn how to enjoy a good Christian life. I'd like to welcome our panel today. And uh, thank you, Helen, for joining us. Well, thank you, Nick. Love being here, love studying, and just love everyone on the panel and the listeners too. Thank you. That's great. Brenton, good to have you with us. Nick, it's always a pleasure to share God's Word with people, and I believe our topic that we're studying today is very, very important. So uh, let's all uh, work together to be able to present this in a way that honors God. I agree with that. <coughs> Joe, thank you for uh, joining. Always a pleasure, Nick, to be here with the panel. And Len, happy to have you with us also. Thank you for the welcome, Nick, and hello, listeners. It's also good to have Lija with us today. Thank you for joining Thank you so much for being here. I'm, I feel very grateful. Well, it's good to have you with us today as our facilitator. And thank you for putting together this um, important uh, Bible study as um, the panel was referring to. It's a pleasure, Nick, and it's a chance for introspection as well. Isn't it strange, panel members and listeners, how you uh, can open the Scriptures and start reading and realize you discover, as it were, new things, and also you uh, discover things that uh, need a little tidying up in your own life. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was my experience when I actually um, prepared this lesson for today. Do you know that over the centuries, many people have reported strange and restless behavior in dogs and other domestic animals before earthquakes? Scientists have now established that animals are able to detect the first of the Earth's seismic waves, the pressure wave, and that arrives in advance of the secondary shaking wave. In fact, my sister and her family living in Mississippi on the Gulf of Mexico tell us of animals and birds migrating north in calm weather 24 hours before Hurricane Katrina arrived with its terrible fury. We as humans cannot always foretell coming trouble, nor do we always have proper measures to deal with the turbulence. In this week's study, we would like to look at some examples of adverse human restlessness brought about not by an impending natural disaster such as an earthquake, but rather by the basic sinfulness of formal human, fallen human beings who were not resting on what Christ offers to all who come to faith uh, and obedience to him. But first, before we study, let's pray together. Joe, would you pray for us, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious gift of your word and the truth given for our benefit. Help us, Lord, to always treasure it. In our busy lives, we often imagine our problems to be bigger than they really are and feel overwhelmed. We all too easily forget how much you love us and are already aware of the situations that we're in and, and have put into action a means by which we, you will help us to get through them. But, Lord, instead of coming to you, we often complain and whinge and forget all your goodness to us in the past. Please forgive us and help us to look beyond what may seem 
insurmountable obstacles to you, Father. You have all the answers, solutions, and regard all your children with infinite care. Be with us as we study your word, and let it speak to our hearts and reassure us of your tender regard. Let all who are listening also feel your presence and love for them, no matter where they are or who they are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Israel was leaving Sinai, and uh, it was more than a year that had passed since they had left Egypt. They were ready to enter the promised land. In fact, we hardly ever realized that they were only about 11 days' walk to their destination. That's Canaan's border. So near, and yet so far. Of course, that is if the enemy of souls, Satan, has anything to do with their progress or their reward. They had been counted as, an, as a nation and uh, organized. They had they'd witnessed incredible displays of divine favor and uh, clear signs of God's presence. You recall that Mount Sinai had flamed with God's presence. Yet, so soon after these wonderful events, their first stop uh, following their departure from Sinai finds them complaining. Now, chapter 11 of the book of Numbers opens with a brewing discontent. Len, fill us in on what is happening. Oh, it's amazing what human nature is like. We seem to find it a lot easier to grumble about things rather than see the good. In fact, I was listening to the radio while driving back from golf the other day and there was somebody moaning about the federal government and what it hadn't done, and yet when you think about it, they've done a pretty good job with regard to the COVID thing. However, Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 to 3, says this, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the place was called Taborah because fire from the Lord had burned among them. Well, in this case, there were consequences to their moaning and groaning and dissatisfaction and so on. I think they might have forgotten what life was like back in Egypt when they were slaves. Here they were free. So, and I imagine they are examples to many of us these days when we tend to focus on the hardships rather than the good things the Lord has done. In fact, I was talking with somebody the other day and it was a cold morning and it was about six degrees And this person said to me, oh, I think this year is a lot colder than last year. And I reminded him that four days in a row out on the golf course, because I play early, it looked like it had been snowing. And it was minus, I don't know, minus four, but it was minus something. And he was saying this at six degrees and he thought it was colder. He'd forgotten. You know, there's a wonderful book. If you can get hold of this book, it's really worth reading, listeners, called Patriarchs and Prophets. On page 292 is this statement. They, that's referring to the children of Israel, 
They forgot their bitter, bitter service in Egypt. They forgot the goodness and power of God displayed in their behalf in their deliverance from bondage. They forgot how their children had been spared when the destroying angel slew all the firstborn of Egypt. They forgot the grand exhibition of divine power at the Red Sea. They forgot that while they had crossed safely in the path that had been opened for them, the armies of their enemies attempting to follow them had been overwhelmed by the water of the sea. They saw and felt only their present inconveniences and trials. And instead of saying and praising God, instead of saying this, God has done great things for us, whereas we were slaves, he's making of us a great nation. They talked of the hardness of the way and wondered when their weary pilgrimage would end. And I suppose there's somebody listening today who's got troubles, and it's not unusual for human beings to have troubles. We have sickness, we get diseases, we have family troubles. This COVID has, of course, uh, caused more troubles than pretty much anything that I'm aware of. And there's plenty of things to grizzle about. But we need to look on the bright side of life and look at the positives rather than dwelling on the negatives. So these people were an example for us uh, what we should not do because they grizzled and grumbled and they were restless and dissatisfied. We should look at the good things. So if somebody uh, is complaining about the neighbor's dog, barking all the time, they should be glad that they've got ears to hear with, and so on. Thank you, Len. Yes, that's true. It seems strange to me that uh, after seeing such mighty works as you have read about, and the clear presence of God and demonstrating his power, and realizing that um, they were less than two weeks from their destination, man, why sit and uh, complain about your present conditions if you've got so much to wait for. Do you know, while you were reading, Len, I noticed that the text said that fire came down and scorched the outskirts of the camp. Outskirts. Helen, do you, can you tell us what was on the outskirts? Why there? Yeah, actually, it's interesting that the Bible tells us that there, how God set up the camp and how the people who was closest to the sanctuary and then further away. And then there was the outskirts, the edges, the fringe, if you like to call it. And this was where they put what they called the mixed multitude. And they were really on the outside only because, well, because, A, they weren't of the children of Israel. They came in. And these were some of the people that came from Egypt with them. And I love that book that um, Len quoted from, and I'm, I would like to read one a quote from there too, if I may. It says, The mixed multitude that had accompanied Israel from Egypt were not permitted to occupy the same quarters with the tribes, but were to abide under the outskirts of the camp, and their offspring were to be excluded from the community and the third generation. That's actually found in the Bible as well. It's quoted from Deuteronomy 23, 7 and 8. And they they were like, I don't know, I like to think of them a bit like hangers-on. But I think sometimes it's it's like in our life we get into a crowd who are not fully committed to God and sometimes they those people are mocking God or complaining and instead of walking away from them, we tend to um, go with them 
we don't want to be different. We tend to mix with them. And the more we mix with them, the more we take on their characters. You know, the fourth commandment even says a stranger within thy gates. And that was command, that was a commandment to do with the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath, the stranger. And it's really, really sad because when these people came with the children of Israel, it wasn't very long before there were complaints coming, as Len mentioned, and it started off in that, that group on the edges. And, and, um, I was reading that many whom were not fully united with Israel and were continually watching for some case of censure. And disaffection is contagion, and it's soon spread in the encampment. We know ourselves there are many things going around about the COVID, and some people have gone into the conspiracy theories. Some people are very adamant in their opinion, and um, I found that out very strongly in one of the studies this week. And And it was quite obvious that that's where the focus was in trying to convince me that it was all um, a conspiracy and what have you. But the sad part is when we get to that point, we become critical, and that's that's what this mixed multitude did. And I was very much reminded, I, I took a service once on Psalm 1, and it's really important because it gives us the steps of how people get mixed up with these mixed multitude. And if I may read just a verse or two, verse 1, Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And to me, they were like three steps that bring us down. Uh, number one, walking or going in that way and, and not turning away when they mock God or they complain to God or whatever. Standing, you're stopping now. You've You've gone from just you know, going along behind them or, or whatever, just mixing socially perhaps. But now you're actually stopping to spend time with them. And then the last part said, sitteth, and that's joining in. And I believe that there are three steps that lead us down the wrong path. And I also believe that's what happened with this mixed multitude and the Israelites. You know, they were walking not in the counsel of the blessed the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. They shouldn't have listened to the the mixed multitude, standing in the way of sinners and not sitting in the seat of the scornful. And gradually, of course, we, we know from history what happened. And it was unrest and disassociation were largely instigated through those fellow travellers. And so there's a caution there for us today that often those with whom we freely associate can lead us into the way, into temptation or disturb our connection with God. And that's why I brought up Psalm 1-1, the danger of outside influences that come into our life. We need to walk with the Lord every moment of the day. And, yes, we are to witness, we are to mingle, but don't sit down with them. Don't join with them. These people had also witnessed the wonderful miracles that God had performed. I suspect in the heart they really weren't committed to him. And this can happen. I've seen it happen in um, when one of my sons went to college, that there were others there who influenced him in a bad way. And uh, I recall a time when I was a teacher and one of my students said to me, my friends are taking drugs. And my advice to that particular student was, you better get some other friends because these friends are leading you astray. It's important um, to 
um, have people who support rather than drag us down. Brenton? Uh, just quickly, um, <clears throat> I believe this fire that burned on the outskirts of the camp was not a campfire or a bushfire. I believe it destroyed some of the people. Um, secondarily, numbers 11 to 21, there are seven instances of rebellion recorded. And if you look at them closely, it's a, it's a building. As Helen has said, it's, it's actually each instance of rebellion is getting worse. It starts with those on the edge of the camp. And in our study today, we're going to be looking at um, uh, some of um, Moses' own family who became rebellious. And it, it progressed from there. And I've got a statement here, Will, that I wanted to read, which really hit me when I was studying this. It says, closely connected to the principle that the heart's human desire determines the way the head perceives truth is the phenomenon of rebellion. Rebellion means that a person who once knew truth to some degree chooses to no longer perceive it as truth. Some personal internal conflict has arisen that is in conflict with the obligations of truth. In terms of the great controversy, such persons have made their own judgment lord of their lives. Now, I found that particularly interesting because we've all touched on the fact so far that God has led them up until now, and yet it seems to have made little or no difference. All of the things that happened on their journey starting with the plagues in Egypt and leading up into the present, all seems to have fallen into a heap as they have reflected on uh, the condition they're in. There is a little bit further down, Will, a comment that <laughs> reminds me of sometimes when you talk to people today. There are people around today who talk about the good old days. Uh, the good old days, I'm not sure when they were. For some, it's the 1950s and 1960s. Um, for some, it may be a little later than that. But uh, these people are almost reflecting on the good old days when we were back in Egypt and we had plenty of meat to eat, we had melons, we had cucumbers, we had all the other things. Um, they seem to have forgotten that they were in abject slavery. They didn't have minds of their own. They simply did what they were told. And God was leading them out of that into something new. Maybe there's a lesson for us today to learn to trust God more. Yes, thank you, Brenton. You know, Nick, while I was reading, I was thinking that um, it's hard to believe that so soon after the wonderful evidences of God's presence, especially with this, um, this punishment um, of the burning on the outskirts of the camp, um, how people could ever, within a week, again, start uh, making trouble and expressing discontent. We read now of another unrest that comes so soon after this display of God's glory. Uh, tell us about that, Ledger. We read in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4 to 6. The rubble with them began to, the, to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also, the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. We observe here that uh, these Israelites, effectively, they <laughs> have suffered from severe selective memory because they remembered only the food and forgot the slavery and the 
unbelievable hardship that um, they had in Egypt. So ingratitude and uh, discontent uh, departs you from God. They forgot the their bitter life in Egypt. They forgot the goodness of, and power of God. They forgot their children that had been spared uh, when the destroying angels slew all the firstborn in Egypt. And uh, they forgot how God tr- uh, um, uh, took them to the waters of the sea. And But they saw only and they felt their present inconvenience and trials. And uh, it means, as Len said, uh, mentioned just a few minutes before, they lack a commitment with the Lord in their heart. They could not have contentment and patience by knowing that the Lord is taking them through this. And this is an example for, for us also. As we go through trials and temptations in our lives, we have to remember that God was there for us as was for the Israelites in the past, in the present, and he will be in the future. And we have to live with this hope. Yes, I was just uh, going to add something here, listening to, you know, what you just shared, uh, you all. You know, we're talking about uh, restless and rebellious. And we can easily have a judgmental attitude towards either the, uh, we talked about the rebels, you know, the foreign people who are among the Israelites, that they uh, tempted them also, and how Israel reacted to that. What I was thinking, that when we talk about a relationship with God, the first thing, God promises us that he will give us peace. He will give us, you know, rest. And and it just comes comes in my mind uh, a beautiful passage in... um, in uh, First John, you know, which says, uh, I will give you my peace. I mean, not as the world gives it. And uh, why I'm saying this is because we are mixed up. We are in the middle of all these situations where other people can influence us in a way or the other. But the important thing is that we are called to be a light of the world. We are called to be different, not to be trapped into uh, the temptations, even though maybe huge uh, pressure on God's people from the rest of society. I believe we should never excuse our own uh, mistakes and wrongdoings just because we are surrounded by people who are uh, uh, not doing the right thing. I believe we should concentrate on our relationship with God to fix that relationship with God, that we can be an influence for good. We can be the light of the world. That is so true, Nick. You know, I think it must have been a tremendous burden on Moses trying to lead this group of restless people. Couldn't have been easy. But, you know, Moses knew whom to turn to. He turns to God, yes, in frustration, He says, why have you afflicted your servants? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? I can see his humanity coming out. You know, panel, it taught me a lesson that it's important to note how Moses handles 
a surge of discontent. And, you know, discontent is very infectious. May the Lord grant that we never lay an extra weight of worry or care on those leaders or anybody overburdened already with circumstances. Perhaps they include struggling parents, overworked servants of God, or even anyone depleted by the responsibilities in their lives. Isn't it strange that at the right time, the enemy of souls helps that criticize, criticism weighs people like that down and destroys their their capabilities in service. Panel, let's talk a, a, a moment about criticism and, and the support that we should be giving in prayer. Helen. I'm very much aware of what happens when people in leadership positions, especially, you know, when I sit in some of the ministers' meetings and, and I talk on a one-to-one basis with them and then I hear some of the grumblings that go on in the church and out of the church and it breaks my heart. And my thought then is, well, would people just step back? And this goes for anybody that's overworked or needs us. We need to step back and and try and look at it from their point of view. Supporting, encouraging, we don't know what goes on in people's lives. And, you know, people just tend, some people wear a mask all the time. And people can look at them and think they're very strong. They know, you know, they're doing this, but, oh, they said that wrong or they did that. And a little bit of criticism starts to come in. The sad part about that is the people that are criticising are losing their blessings. They're focused on the wrong things. And then, of course, like Moses, it struck me, you know, he was sort of saying, well, why God and and what's going on? Reminding me a little bit of Habakkuk saying, you know, what are you doing, God? I think at that time, yes, we need to support with very much with prayer. Moses, t- Moses was human, just like the rest of us. And I'm glad that God put that in the Bible, that we can see that. But that's the time when we, if we're criticised or we're discouraged, we need to take that back to God. And yes, as um, friends, as relatives or anybody with a, sees someone in that situation, prayer is powerful. We need to be like the hands of um, the two that held up Moses' arms. You know, we need to be praying and supporting and lifting um, them up towards the Lord. Yes. How do you see it, Helen? Helen was talking about a little bit of criticism. I'd like to say this. A little bit of criticism goes a long way. The trouble is, it generally goes the wrong way as well. Mm. It hurts the person who's trying to do their best. However, I'd like to also add this. You know, we learn the most from our critics when they point out our mistakes. We learn the most. We mightn't like what they have to say, but they are the ones from whom we actually learn what's better to do. But I do agree very much that it's important to support people who are leaders. And I mentioned the government before. It's easy to, it's easy to criticize. It's a little bit harder to support. Yes. Brenton. Um, just going back to the text uh, that we've just read, what's interesting about this will, as I see it, I think it's beyond just discouraged. In verse 14 of the same chapter, chapter 11 of Numbers, he says, Lord, I've had enough. Um, Kill me. (laughs) Now, um, in other words, if we were using common parlance, we would say, get it over and done with. Now, I can think of someone else in the Old Testament who said pretty much the same thing, a guy called Elijah. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. He said the same thing. I'm not better than my fathers. I wished I could die. Um, I see this as deeper than just I don't know what to do. I see a man who here who is despairing and he's losing his hold on God. I would tend to disagree a little bit that he knew where to turn because when we get a little bit further on in our study, we will find that God makes a suggestion to him to try and help him. Do you know what? I think there are situations in life where God allows us to get in over our heads before he says, okay, hold your hand up. I've got a solution. You just need to trust me. And I believe that what was taking place here with all of them complaining in their tents, this wasn't random. I believe this was organised. I believe that all the camp of Israel decided to complain. So from tent to tent to tent to tent, you're getting all of this wailing and carrying on. Can you imagine Moses and Aaron listening to all of this and saying, well, how are we going to handle it? We can get in the same situation. In fact, some of us have been in these situations where you simply don't know what to do. So I think in situations like that, you say, Lord, and I think Joe mentioned it earlier on, God's timing is very, very different to ours. I think you simply need to say, Lord, you do have a solution. I trust you and I'm willing to wait patiently until you show me what the solution is. Yes. Joe, you had a comment? It was just a thought that um, often it's so much easier and it's already been said to to complain, to criticise, to judge. However, it's not just enough for us to pray and support. I think sometimes we need to give physical help. Um, you know, it might be a struggling mother with little children. It's inconvenient to help, isn't it? Or, you know, it could be someone who's leading out and finding it challenging. It's easier to sit there and um pass judgment rather than get up and help. And sometimes there's like a, yeah, so we need to move past looking and praying and supporting in thought and then putting that into action and seeing what we can do to manually, physically help whoever it is that we are criticising in our minds and hearts, let alone verbally. Nick. Yeah, just uh, again uh, on this experience which Moses uh, had, you know, with the Israelites, I'm just thinking that particularly in that occasion, Moses was using a lot that, you know, word of I, I. Why have I to deal with these people or carry them? Have I gave birth to them? And all the time just looking at himself, I, rather than to relay on God who show him that he can take uh, care of his people. Moses was just a tool in God's hand to do that. But what I remember here is that when Moses was advised by his father-in-law, Jethro, how much that helped him actually to carry on with this great task which God asked him to cope, if you like, with the whole issue of these rebellious people. I think it's important to be prepared first, not to think that you are the center of attention, that you have to do these things, that you have to carry on, uh, that you have to fix the problems, but to allow God to do that. You are just an intermediate there, or somebody who, you know, to, um, to be to do the job which God assigned you to do. 
I think this is a great lesson for us to learn how Moses changed his attitude and how better he was managing the situation. Yes, the of course uh, the late, their latest complaint is now about wanting meat. And uh, Brenton, you want to comment how God solves this problem? Well, he solved the problem. I can give you the answer very quickly. Will he arranged? for flocks of quail who normally come to that part of the world anyway, but somehow he arranged for these flocks of quail to be flying through the camp at a height of about a metre so that they are able to beat them down and, and use them for food. But, of course, they gorged themselves on this and um, God allowed them to suffer the consequences of gorging themselves uh, on the food that they requested and that he allowed them to have. Quick lesson there. Sometimes when we keep pressing God over particular issues that we see are important and he sees as not so important, sometimes he allows us to um, have our requests. Um, there is a saying, Will, you've heard it, and so have the rest of the panel, be careful what you wish for. And sometimes <laughs> sometimes um, this happens, and I believe in this case, they were dissatisfied with what God had provided for them, and so he gave them what they wanted. Uh, but they, he also administered judgment on them because they proved in this episode that they just gorged themselves on the food that he provided for them, and many of them died as a result of a plague that the Lord sent upon them. So it's I think there's a pretty strong lesson there, Will, that... Um, if you pray to the Lord and ask for something, always make sure as best you can from the word of God, from prayer and from listening to the Holy Spirit that what you're asking for is what God really wants for you and knows is best for you. Yes. Lydia? There's a verse here in Numbers chapter 11, verse 18, and it says, God is talking to Moses, his instrument, to tell these words to the Israelites. And it says, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed for meat. So why God asks the Israelites to consecrate themselves in preparation for tomorrow when God decided to give them meat? And he gave them so much um, that in verse 31, it says that, it was about three feet above the ground, as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 omers. This is at least 2.200 liters. Can you imagine how much meat is there? And because of that, they ate without any uh, restrictions until they died. But why God told them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. God gave them another chance to realize that whatever they asked is totally wrong, was not God's will. God wanted them in this walk in desert to be a walk with God, to be a walk when they grow, a walk when they bond with God better than before and to grow spiritually but they were not they remained just babies you know they wanted them 
need meet immediately and forgot what God had done for them in the past. So it's another lesson for us again. Before we ask for something from God, it's better to consecrate ourselves, to pray, to have a time apart with God much more closer than before and see if it's God's will for whatever I ask him. Right. Len and then Brenton. Yes, I just have a little uh, analogy. I heard a story once about a little child, I think it was a little girl, who complained to her mother. She said, Mummy, I have to do this and I have to do that and I don't want to do it. So the mother decided that she would allow this child to do anything she wanted. And so a day came when the mother gave no conditions, no restrictions. She could do what she wanted. At the end of the day, she was one of the most unhappy children. She liked, really, in reality, she liked to have conditions attached to her behaviour. And this is a bit like these people. They're a bit like saying, Mummy, we don't like this and we don't like that. Let's, let's have it our way. And in the case with the quail, God gave them what they wanted and it wasn't the best thing for them. Brendan? Just quickly, Will, um, there was more to the story than just the meat that they were requesting. Mm-hmm. Part of this uh, whole experience is, is this. God told Moses to choose 70 men to assist him with the work. Now, if you study other portions of Scripture, you'll find that this suggestion, whilst God, um, shall we say, approved of it, in actual fact, uh, Moses' father-in-law was the one who saw Moses working and he said, look, you've got too much to do. You need people to help you. And that leads us to the next part of our study that uh, we'll be dealing with in a minute uh, in regard to dissatisfaction. And Moses' wife, Zipporah, had come back to the camp by this stage and she could see that her husband was being worn out with all the work that he was doing. And when God said to appoint 70 elders to help him and assist him, and beyond that, God said, I will put my spirit on them, just as I put it on Moses and Aaron. I believe um, we could learn a lesson from that today. Within the church, God has qualified people to do various responsibilities. He has placed his Holy Spirit on all of them, not just those of us who preach or teach. All those who are working for the Lord have God's spirit placed upon them. And uh, they are able to function efficiently under the uh, guidance of the Holy Spirit. And I believe these men proved in future to be a great blessing to Moses in his work of administering something like two or three million people. Well, that's so true. You know, we've, we've said that uh, discontent can be very contagious. And lo and behold, the very next chapter after this, in chapter 12, we read uh, of an announcement of even more discord arising. You want to uh, point that out to us, Joe? Yes. Uh, if we look at, if we can just imagine the scene, we have people, lots and lots of people, you know, calling out, why did we ever leave Egypt? You know, they were, they were crying, each man at the door of their tents. This was really mutinous. Can you imagine this, this the yeah. tension in the camp? And now... Miriam and Aaron are upset about something as well, um, and often those that are closest 
to us can hurt us the most. And they were the closest to Moses and they turned on him when he needed their support the most. And they come to him. And in Numbers 12, 1 to 3, it says, Miriam and Aaron spoke. Now, spoke is in the feminine singular, meaning that Miriam was doing the talking, perhaps implying that she was the instigator of this, uh, let's, let's, let's talk to him face to face, against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Now, we know that uh, Zipporah was um, of the lineage of Midian, who was a son of um, Abraham through Keturah. So I'm not sure whether you could classify him as an Ethiopian, but um, and that's a study in itself. But exactly. here they were implying... They were implying that, you know, she's not one of us, you know, and here you are taking her advice and look what's happened. You know, has the Lord indeed only spoken through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? You know, so here we are, we have them venting their anger, you know, and perhaps for maybe one of two reasons, perhaps they weren't consulted about the appointments of the elders, like, you know, Moses had just gone ahead and done this. What happened to their authority and leadership? And consultation. And number two, well, maybe they were envying for their own sakes and like, why were they sharing the spirit with others? Wouldn't that cause confusion? And so, you know, and we may well ask, why didn't they speak to Moses privately? Why inflame an already volatile situation? And, you know, perhaps they were convinced that this was a grave mistake and they needed to address it openly. And perhaps they were even thinking they had a just cause and they were hard done by. The remarkable thing, though, is that both Aaron and Miriam were good people. They were probably very good and capable leaders and under normal circumstances would never behave like this. And this was completely out of character. But here they are filled with jealousy, dissatisfaction, discontent and questioning Moses's motives and the way that God chooses to operate. And we can see that uh, even leaders in the church can fall victim to uh, discontent and dissatisfaction. It becomes very, very dangerous, doesn't it? Yes, Nick. Just very quickly, I want to remind ourselves here again that uh, we should look up to our Lord Jesus Christ because he dealt with all this situation in a very special way. He always, when he needed, he retreated himself to connect powerfully with the God, his father, because we are going to face uh, all these challenges and difficulties. It's very important to be intentional and to connect with the one who can give us victory over all the struggles we have in life. Yes. You know, um, God takes the criticism of his leaders very seriously. Yes. And uh, he responds to this complaint Len, would you like to share what actually happens? Yes, I realize we have a lot of ground to cover yet, so I'm going to uh, not read the verses, but it's Numbers 12, verses 4 to 13. You know, during the day, the cloud shaded the camp of Israel, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud over the, the temple, and God spoke out. To Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, he said, I want you all three to come to the tent of meeting, which is the uh, sanctuary. And so they came. And the Lord spoke in clear and definite tones. He said, hear my words. 
And then he spoke, if there's a prophet among you, he will have dreams and visions. And then he pointed out that Moses, who was especially called by him to lead these people, he didn't give him just dreams and visions, but he spoke to him directly. And then he challenged them. And he said, why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And he was very angry with Aaron and Miriam. The cloud lifted, went back to where it normally was. And when it did, uh, Miriam, to her horror, found that she was covered in leprosy. Well, Aaron realized that they'd made a really bad mistake in criticizing Moses. And he pleaded with him to pray to have Miriam healed. Well, she was, but she had to spend the required amount of time, I think it was eight days, outside of the camp, living alone, away from the rest of the people. We need to be careful about criticism. I heard once when you point at somebody to point out their mistakes, you use your index finger, but there are four fingers pointing back at yourself. And God chose Moses. It took him 40 years to condition Moses for this particular job as a shepherd. And the Lord was very angry with these two who should have been his main support for criticizing him. We need to be careful about our criticism because it'll bounce back at us in some form or another. That is so true. And after all this dissension, the Israelites finally arrive on the very borders of Canaan. And um, I think that God deals quite uh, strongly with them before they enter. They need more information on what lies ahead of them. God is still patient with them, but their strategy, Helen, what do they need to do before they can go into the promised land? I find it extremely interesting when I read a, read the story of what happened as they got close to the promised land, and it's found in Numbers thirteen twenty five to 33. And um, it's an interesting story, but what got me is at the very start of this section in Numbers, if I was to, yeah, Numbers 13, if I was to look back at verse 2, it says, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. So here God was saying, I'm giving this to you, but call 12 people and let them go up and go into this land and check it out for yourselves. It's interesting that when they came back, they carried a branch or a a, um, what was it? They they carried a single cluster of grapes. And I have this vision in my head of these huge grapes coming back to show them what the land was like. And they actually told them how it was, you know, beautiful land and and plenty of good reasons for entering the land. But the problem is 10 of them couldn't stop focusing on their fear. The fear was that they saw giants in the land. And they literally felt like grasshoppers. And it was a tough decision for them. You know, they, it was a fortified city. And it was so easy for them to forget that God had promised them this place. Sadly, what happened then was that the, the crowd, the whole community took their report. And they, they actually, by because of the 10 spies that went and stood up, they actually decided they wouldn't go in. 
and take that land because of fear. How many times do we have fear and, and we let the negatives cause us to lose sight of the positives? You know, we need to weigh both sides carefully when we have to make a difficult decision. But before I close on this section, I want to mention Caleb. Caleb was one of them that he came before Moses and he actually said, let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. Now, it must have been, imagine standing before a crowd of people and loudly voicing an unpopular opinion. He was outnumbered, was he not? You know, and there was only two of them that stood up, but Caleb particularly took my attention. He was willing to take an unpopular stand to do what God had commanded. And, you know, I, I thought about that and I thought to be effective, we need, when we go against the crowd, we must have the facts. And Caleb certainly had seen the land himself. We must have the right attitude. And Caleb trusted God's promises to give Israel the land. And we must state clearly what we believe. And Caleb said, we can certainly conquer it. That was trust and faith in God, which sadly the others didn't have. And, you know, in spite of Caleb's intervention, the voices of the doubters and skeptics prevailed. The Israelites did not set out to conquer what God had promised them. Restless at heart, they chose weeping and murmuring over marching and shouting for victory. And they had to then go around in, they went that far from the promised land, but it took them 40 years before they were able to reach that point again. When we're restless at heart, we struggle to walk by faith. We need to keep fully focused on what God has promised us. Brenton, we have five minutes to go. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> we will. Okay. The situation now deteriorates even further. It's gone beyond complaining. It's now reached a point where because Caleb and Joshua have given a positive report, and say that we are well able to go into the land of Canaan and possess it, the rest of the multitude, the rest of the children of Israel want to stone them. In fact, they're in the act of stoning them. They did two things. Number one, they decided to kill them. And number two, they said, let's choose another leader who will take us back to Egypt. Now, when you read, Will, um, in Numbers 14, verse 1, I'm, I'm not going to read it all, but there was... A section there that I found interesting. They blamed God for their situation first and foremost. They said, why has God brought us out into this wilderness to kill us? Um, despite everything God had done for them, you have an accumulation of rebellion here. The rebellion has now reached a point where we all know, uh, those of us who are looking back in 2021, we know from reading the scripture and reading commentaries we know that they could have gone into the land of Canaan right then and there. However, they didn't because of their unbelief, as it uh, points out in uh, the book of Romans and also the book of Hebrews. But the bottom, bottom line is that um, they had, in a sense, because they wanted to stone those who gave a positive response, that's um, Joshua and Caleb, they had repudiated God as their leader. In a sense, they had said, you brought us out here to, to kill us. So the bottom line is, I think that we can learn a lot from this um, about the perils. Number one, of, dis of destroying and uh, criticizing God's leaders. And number two, placing our total confidence and trust in the Lord. That's what was missing. And even Moses and Aaron struggled at this particular point. Yes, the story goes on to see that uh, 
God says that he would destroy these people and make yes. Moses a great nation. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, Moses then pleads for these the erring people, which is a good example of good leaders today as well. You know, however you might look at this, we realize that um, we, we can identify with many of these things in our own experience today. And, uh, you know, panel... There's similarities between what we see in Israel's wanderings in the wilderness and God's people living just prior to the second coming of Jesus. We actually spoke about just a few things, but could you could we conclude by just one or two points which came to mind, um, lessons that we can learn from these complaints and the, this unrest that they experienced in the wilderness? Very quickly, Will, uh, on um, this particular uh, study we did today, uh, uh, Restless and Rebellious. We live in a 24-7 society, which we really are driven by the, you know, the go, go, go. I believe it's time now to to take it easy, to take you have a time out and to really ask ourselves, how are we? in the bigger picture, what God wants from us. Are we connected with God or are we just going with the flow? Yes. Uh, Len? Twice in Numbers chapter 14, the Lord calls the Israelites a wicked community, and yet he did not destroy them. And I think the Lord sees this community, which I also believe is a wicked community, He does not destroy people because there are people in the community who will respond to him. However, a day is coming when God is going to say enough is enough. Yes. We need to be ready and in tune with him so that we are not on the wrong side of God's favour. Yes. Ledger? The lack of faith in God leads to uh, restlessness and anxiety. But um, the psalmist in Psalm 103 verse 2 says, forget not all his benefits. So keeping God's goodness prominently in mind brings peace to our hearts, security, trust, and faith in him. And to remember the God is the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and who, he will never, ever forgive us. Yes, it makes me think of what Paul wrote of in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We need to learn lessons from the history of Israel, Apply to our own lives, seek conversion, seek dedication and commitment to God. And he will, by his spirit, lead us into a right way of living. I want to invite you as a panel and you as a listener to consider your status with God and uh, ask whether there are lessons that we can learn to make us more pliable Christians and give us more of the disposition of Jesus 
Helen, would you close with prayer for us? I'd love to. Thank you. Loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord. We want to thank you for what we've read this morning, for the insights you've given the panel members. And for the listeners, I pray that many lessons have been learned. I pray, Lord, that we will remember that when we are talking to others, that it is not our place to criticize and pull people down. If what we say or what others say or what we do doesn't lift people up to you, Lord, we need to walk away from it because it's dragging us the wrong way. Father, help us not to be restless in our hearts and our minds because restlessness does lead to rebellion. And, Lord, we've seen what's happened to the children of Israel. But at the same token, Lord, we saw what happened to your faithful faithful followers. We think of Caleb and the lessons that we can learn for him. And, Father, I just pray that each one of us will turn to you at this time in our earth's history, knowing that the fears that these people had in in Israel and what we learned about We need not hold on to our fears, Lord. You know, you've promised us never to leave us nor forsake us. And, Father, we know we've nothing to fear for the future except we forget how you've led us in the past. And this was an example this morning. So bless each one, bless each listener, and bless each panel member this morning or today. Father, I just pray that we can come closer to you, feel that peace that we need, and we may bring glory and honour and praise to you and you alone. I pray in your name. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for uh, your input today. We uh, would need much more time to uh, cover some of these beautiful uh, things. Uh, and we all have uh, life experience, you know, to um, to contribute. But I would like you to join us back again, listener, uh, next time when we are going to learn a little bit more what are some of the roots of uh, restlessness. Until then, may God richly bless you and continue to walk in the footsteps of Jesus.